If you have a Bible, you can open to Psalm 51. Looking at that again this morning. We looked at it uh, last week. And uh, we're finishing up on it today. Let me just give a brief recap of what we talked about last week. I know maybe you thought you were uh, done with all that hard stuff about um, confession of sin and forgiveness and stuff. But uh, that's basically what the first half of the psalm really concentrates on. It's a confession of sin. It comes at a particularly bad moment in David's life, um, as, is, uh, as we talked about last week. Uh, it's a confession of sin, and it's a plea to God for forgiveness. It's, uh, it's specifically that. It's not a promise that, hey, I'll make this up to you, give me another chance. It's a plea to God for forgiveness. And so we talked about sin, sort of defined it as it's your personal rejection. It's a relational rejection, personal Rejection of God's reality and his revelation, what he said, and relationship with him. It's a personal rejection of God. And rather than being primarily a problem in your relationship with other people, or even primarily something that is like self-destructive, uh, that you'd maybe feel guilty about, every sin is essentially, first and foremost, a problem in your relationship with God. You sin against God. You do that because you are a sinner. It's just who you are. It's your identity. It's your nature in and of yourself. Apart from God's gracious work in you, that's who you are, that's who I am. And so that's what we do, is we uh, reject God. And that's a problem that's entirely unmanageable for you. You can't fix that problem. But God teaches us to impose upon him for forgiveness. He teaches us to do that. And he teaches us that, uh, that the forgiveness that we're to ask for, it comes through a substitutionary sacrifice. It comes through especially the... Uh, the, the gospel reveals the blood of Jesus Christ being shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we let our sins be what they really are, that personal rejection of God, we let that be what it really is, then we see Jesus for the Savior that he really is. And now, this week, we'll focus on the second half of the psalm, which is a prayer that God would change us then as a result of this reconciliation, as a result of our being forgiven sinners praying for a change to take place in our lives. And God really does change his people in this life. But this change does not mean that you stop being a sinner in need of forgiveness, in need of Christ, in need of his grace. So if it's, if, if it's not that you stop being a sinner, and that's not the, the change that you're praying for necessarily, then what is the real change that we're praying for? What's the real change that we can expect in this life. <clears throat> Let's find out what Psalm 51 has to say about that. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, when it comes to thinking about our relationship with you, uh, it can be like pulling teeth, and uh, it can be like a heart transplant. So we pray that you would do that if it's necessary for you to do that in our hearts, in our minds, that you would change us from the inside out to be able to consider our relationship with you through this Psalm 51. Um, there are some hard things going on in this Psalm, and there's hard things going on inside of us. And it's hard to look at those things apart from your grace. We pray that you give us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. To the choir master. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would, uh, I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem, then... You will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So um, maybe you noticed as we read through it, there's sort of a transition in the psalm. Um, Talking about change, talking about real change this week. What does real change look like in a Christian's life? In a Christian's life. That's the kind of change we're talking about. Um. Let's just for a minute actually continue thinking about this idea, just for a minute, that sin is your personal rejection of God. Sin is your personal rejection of God, that, that as David said in, in uh, verse 4, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, even if it had its effects on other people. <clears throat> uh, I'm not just stuck on that idea. It's, it's just that if that idea is true, then it helps us understand what real change is. The person praying this psalm knows that his or her biggest problem is being a sinner who rejects God and violates that relationship. So, a bunch of examples. When I'm being controlling, when I'm being proud, when I'm being impatient, when I'm demanding my own comfort or pleasure, when I'm given over to alcohol or to other drugs, when I'm covetous or greedy, when I'm bitter or when I'm lustful, when I hurt others deliberately or when I hurt others carelessly, when I contribute to or participate in the injustices in our society, my main problem in all these things is the fact that I've sought to live apart from God. I've denied his reality. I'm downplaying his revelation. I'm distancing myself from relationship with him. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this person who knows this, who knows that this is the real main problem with all the things that I do that are sins, the main problem is my rejection of God. The person who knows that, in light of the gospel, this person also knows that God has addressed this problem at the cross and that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says in Romans 8, that there is real forgiveness, absolute forgiveness, everlasting forgiveness 
for sinners, for people who are sinners and who therefore sin against God. There's real forgiveness for us found in the sacrifice of Christ as a free gift of God's grace. You can know that. And if you know this, if you, if you give a rip about this at all, it is only because God has done a miraculous work in you by his Holy Spirit. So what then is the greatest desire of someone like that? What's the greatest desire of someone in whom God is working? What's the greatest desire of those who let their sins be what they really are and have begun to know Jesus then for the Savior that he really is? What's our greatest desire? It's basically we we want more of him. We want more of him, more of Jesus, more of God, more relationship with him, more life with him, more knowing him, more of his presence, more of his holy life in us. We want more of him. That's what we want. We want God coming out of our ears. We don't just want to get a little better in some ways. We don't just want to be nicer, more friendly and more likable. We don't just want to have less to feel guilty about or less to feel mortified about if people discovered about me. Those who let their sins be what they really are and who know Jesus for the Savior that he really is, they want to be filled with all the fullness of God. They want to be bursting at the seams with him. That's the change we want in our lives. So the prayer is in verses 10 through 12, create in me a clean heart of God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This is the prayer of someone who's emerging from this experience of his own sinfulness, his confession of it, his becoming assured of the forgiveness of his sins. This is what he wants. Basically, we're praying, be with me. Cast me not away from your presence. We're praying, be with me and give me new capacities to enjoy you. Create in me a clean heart and renew my spirit within me. Make me new and make me alive to you. Any other change is really just same old, same old. It isn't real change. If it, it isn't a change in our relationship and our ability to enjoy God and having more of Him. And that sense of being in His presence, it's not really real change. Think about it. If you're, if you're just talking about becoming a nicer person, which could happen in a whole lot of different ways, a little less controlling, a little less selfish, a little less abusing of substances, a little less greedy, a little less bitter or lustful or unjust. Anybody can do those things. Anybody can do those things. You don't have to be a Christian to do those things. You don't need to pray for the miraculous work of God in your life to do those things, get a little better. There are plenty of behavior modification tricks that you can learn that don't have anything to do at all with a new relationship with God. You just have to be really afraid of the consequences if you don't stop that bad habit. You work yourself up into that. That's all you got to do. Or just imagine how good you'll feel about yourself if you get a little nicer. And then you find a way to try really hard. You give it all you've got. You pour yourself into it. You can make that happen. You can become a little better. Anybody could do it. Lots of people do it. Non-Christians are making themselves change like that all the time. People are quitting drugs all the time. People are turning over a new leaf, reforming and rehabbing all the time, and that's great, that's fine, 
It just takes a little determination, elbow grease. <laughs> but real change is just a complete paradigm shift from that. Real change takes the Spirit of God making you new, something you weren't before. From the inside out, at the deepest level, real change only takes place here in the context of prayer and your relationship with God in Jesus Christ through faith in Him. So C.S. Lewis wrote Mere Christianity, and uh, one of the chapters is titled, Nice People or New Men? He says, Mere improvement is not redemption, though redemption always improves people even here and now, and will in the end improve them to a degree that we cannot yet imagine. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. So God became man to turn creatures into sons. That's a relational concept. To make us new, something we weren't before, and to establish us in a new relationship with himself. That's why God became man. The Son of God became a man, Jesus Christ. He lived, he died, he rose again in order to give us his own spirit and his own relationship with God. The spirit of the Son of God. To establish us, to make us new, and to establish us in a new relationship. The Spirit takes uh, away our hearts of stone. It's a big concept in the Scriptures. Hearts of stone that are dead towards God. The Spirit takes that away from us, and He gives us hearts of flesh. He makes us a new creation altogether. He makes us alive to God. That's the main thing about that. He makes us alive to God when before we were dead to Him in our sin. We wanted to have nothing to do with Him. Rejected Him. And this kind of change is an entirely different category of change. It's the kind that that only God can enact. And the medical analogy here, I think, is a good one. You don't cut yourself open and use the rib spreader on yourself and swap out your old dead heart for a new, living, healthy one. You can't give yourself a heart transplant. You can't make that change in yourself. Spiritually speaking, you didn't even know you needed a heart transplant like God says you do. And you wouldn't really want one unless God was already at work in you. But when you ask God, create in me a clean heart, you're asking him to do something that only the creator God does create. Something out of nothing. When you ask God, renew a right spirit within me, you're saying... My spirit's wrong, and a broken tool can't fix itself. I need you to do something here that I can't do. You have to fix me. When you ask God, cast me not away from your presence, you're saying you actually have a new desire to be with God now that you sure didn't have when you were just a sinner, sinning all the time, trying to do life apart from God. You wanted to be apart from him, and now you want to be with him? And when you ask God, take not your Holy Spirit from me, You're saying you need his spirit inside of you to be able to relate to him in a new way or else you're empty and you got nothing. 
When you ask God, restore to me the joy of your salvation, you're asking him for a joy that only he can give you as your Savior. So when you ask God, uphold me with a willing spirit, you're, you're saying that you would be unwilling to be in this relationship if it weren't for him at work in you, if it weren't for him changing you, really changing you, giving you a new heart, a new willing spirit to live with him. And when you pray like this, you're basically just asking him to do things he's already promised to do because he loves you. These are his ideas. This is what he wants for you before you wanted it. You're basically saying, love me, Lord. You've loved me. I want more. Love me. Give me the gifts of your great love. Give me more of yourself. Enlarge my capacity for you to take more of you in. It's a, I think it's a lot like Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, where he's saying, grant us the spiritual strength. I need a new strength, a capacity that I didn't have before. Grant that to us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know the love of Christ that, that really can't be known, it's so great. Make me able to know it, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, all that infinite Fullness, be filled with it. Even just praying that way indicates a change that only God can make. He's already started to make that change in you, if you're interested in things like that. The one who prays this way isn't looking for the next greatest uh, behavioral modification trip, trick to stop the bad habits and get a little better. That's not the change we're really interested in. The one who prays this way isn't trying to psych himself out to activate his own will. I know I could do this. If I just tried a little harder, how am I going to make myself try a little harder? Well, I've got some ideas. You know, you're not just trying to do that to, to will to change. The one who prays this way doesn't just want to become compliant in order to feel better about himself. The one who prays this way wants more of the God that he has scorned. The one who prays this way wants more of the God that he has betrayed. Wants more of the God that he's ignored. Wants more of the triune God of love who's forgiven him all his sins. And when you want to be filled with all the fullness of God, which is really unimaginable, when you say you want to be filled with the fullness of God, when you want the joy of your salvation, when you want God coming out of your ears, then you won't be able to stop talking about him. That's what happens in the book of Acts. Every time it says that the Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Christians being filled again and again with all the fullness of this infinite God that you really never be full of, it says that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they can't stop talking about Jesus and the gospel. That's what he says in this prayer in verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So when you're in a relationship with God, with this God, through faith in Jesus Christ, it means when you find out the kinds of sins that other people do, you won't be shocked, you won't be appalled at their sins. You know people sin against God because that's what sinners like you do. Your opinion of people doesn't need to change if you happen to discover what some of their actual particular sins are. When God changes you, when he really changes you, well, you you won't withdraw in disgust from sinners. 
just like he didn't withdraw in disgust from sinners, from people like you. I mean, Jesus was criticized for not withdrawing in disgust from sinners. God, when he changes you, he teaches you in your heart, like it says in verse 6, when he changes you, you'll teach other sinners. Like God has taught you, you'll teach them. About God and about his love. You won't teach them how to be super awesome, holy person just like you. You'll teach them God's ways of forgiving people like you. You'll teach them God's ways that are found right here, his Psalm 51 ways. I love those ways. I want to talk about those ways. I want to actually sing about that. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. You'll sing of his righteousness. Not the righteousness that terrifies evildoers, but the righteousness that justifies evildoers. You'll sing of the righteousness by which he makes sinners righteous. That's the Romans 1 kind of righteousness, the righteousness of God revealed in the gospel by which people are saved from their sin. Or the First John chapter 1 type of righteousness of God by which he forgives and cleanses those who confess their sins. He's faithful and he's righteous to forgive and cleanse you. You won't sing of your own righteousness. Your testimony won't be, well, I used to be a bad sinner person, but now I'm a good, impressive person, and you can too. No, you'll still be someone who has really nothing impressive to offer God, no sacrifices. God's not interested in those things. No sacrifices, no gifts, nothing really but a broken and contrite heart. Verse 17. That's all I got. It's not impressive. It's not the, hey, look at me, you could be like me kind of testimony. Your testimony will be, even so, God loves me. Again, Barbara Duga quoted from her last week, her book, Extravagant Grace, which I hope you've all run out to buy this week. Um, She says, you will never be able to find steady joy in this life until you understand, submit to, and even embrace the fact that you are weak and sinful, broken and contrite heart. When you embrace that reality and you start to learn a little bit more concretely what that means in your life, and you actually understand it and submit to it and even embrace it, say, yeah, that's me. I'll let my sins be what they really are. I'm, I'm acknowledging that. And you find your joy in the Savior because of that. You'll sing of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which righteousness is declared to be yours. He's given it to you. It's a free gift. You won't just proclaim it. Your heart will resound with it. You won't be able to contain it. You will sing. You'll actually sing out loud, like we do when we sing this psalm. Uh, Because the righteousness of Christ, it means everything to you. That's what means everything to you, him, having more of him. Because you've got God coming out of your ears. That's real change. That's real change that we're interested in. It sounds a lot better than stopping some bad habits and getting a little nicer, doesn't it? I think it does. Amen. Let's pray.
Father, we pray that you would give us more of yourself, that you would create in us clean hearts and uh, renew right spirits within us, that you would do all that work that is necessary inside of us to make us receptive of you, uh, interested in you, have a larger capacity for our relationship with you and find joy in you, that you would really change our hearts by your Holy Spirit. That you would even um, do that for people like us is amazing. That you would forgive us and cleanse us and change us and give yourself to us fully and forever. This is what we want now because you've been at work in us. And... um, And so we pray that you would fill us with all the fullness of God, that you would grant us that spiritual strength that we need to to know the incomprehensible, the unknowable love of Christ and to be changed by that. Uh, Make us the kind of people who celebrate your love to us, who have a clear testimony of who you are and what you've done for us, for people like us, who can say what our sins really are and therefore what our Savior uh, really means to us. We pray that you would uh, open our mouths so that our lips might declare and sing uh, praise to your righteousness in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.